Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Yeah. Jesus, um, we are the weak, and it is only in you that we are made strong. The scripture tells us that in you, Jesus, all things were created, everything, things in heaven and things on earth, things that we see and things we don't see, thrones or governments or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through you and all things are created for you. And Jesus, we declare with our words and with our hearts, and we invite you to be Lord of all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Good morning. Have a seat. Thank you to Jonathan uh, and our worship team for uh, leading us in great worship of the Lord this morning. And uh, yeah, let's give him a big hand, yeah. Thank you. Hey, it's good to be back with you. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Gary. I haven't been here in about four weeks, so uh, some of you I'm a stranger to. I'm always strange, but now maybe a stranger. And we just want to say to you, uh, April and I, just thanks so much for your prayers and for your love over the last uh, six or seven weeks. We've kind of gone through a tough season in our lives, with our, in our family, and we're just so grateful for your love for us. And then, of course, I went to Rwanda for you a couple of weeks ago, and I got, back, um, I got back 10 days ago and got home and drove home. Uh, April picked me up, and I drove the car home uh, to our house about 10 o'clock at night. And within two hours, I was in the hospital uh, up at Sharp uh, Emergency Room and stayed 24 hours or so. And I was diagnosed with something that's really weird and strange and really scary. It's called transient global amnesia. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm really glad to be, <laughs> be here with you. So transient global amnesia. Transient means that it doesn't last. It doesn't keep going, thank goodness. And global doesn't mean the earth. It just means you forget everything as it's happening to you while you're having this attack. Uh, and then amnesia, of course, you know what that is. So you forget stuff. So I just, I really need some of you guys, I, was, I lost about two hours, I drove the car home, I was fully functional, April tells me I drove the car home from the airport, um, she tells me we talked to our daughter, we did the, you know, we visited and started to unload a suitcase, and that's about all I remember, I didn't know where I was, and I didn't know how I got wherever I was, this is the strangest thing, lasted about two hours, so I need some of your help a little bit, because April keeps saying to me something about a Tesla and a trip to Hawaii <laughs> that I promised her during that time period. And I, I don't remember that, but she says that's exactly what happened. So guys kind of helped me out. So praise God, went the whole battery of tests, and it was not a stroke, wasn't a TGI, it wasn't, uh, there's no tumor. Um, I, I'm always difficult to remember things. So it's just, it's a real rare thing. Chances of it ever happening again in my life are about 30% that'll ever happen even once again. They don't know the causes of it. They have some ideas, but I'm, I'd say I'm about 90% back. It kind of did knock me for a loop there, but 
going good now. I'm just so grateful to God for his tender care and watch over us. So I got to go to Rwanda for you, and I, w- I want to just brag on what Paseo Del Rey Church is doing in Rwanda and what you're going to continue to do in Rwanda because it is awesome to take the gospel in words and in deeds uh, to this uh, country of R- Rwanda. Um, it's a beautiful country and wonderful people, but tortured people, very traumatized people, and uh, to bring the gospel to the pastors there and um, to help with a clean water project that we're involved in here at Paseo del Rey. So I just, I brought along a couple of pictures to kind of share with you a little of the journey that you took to Rwanda. So what we're doing there, our main focus is we're training a group of now 14 pastors over a three-year period how to study the Bible and how to teach the Bible. And when I first got there, their method of preaching was they had one sermon it was an awesome sermon. It's about Jesus, and you can't go too wrong with that. But the problem is, is if that's all that you teach from the Bible, then you're, you're restricting their diet, people's diet. We want the whole council to be taught. It's all about Jesus. And so what they would do when I first got there is they would open up to a passage in Galatians, and they would read the passage, and then they would preach the sermon they preach every week about Jesus. And it's a true sermon. We would say to them, that's a great sermon, Wrong text, but great sermon. And so we're teaching them, what, is the, what does the text say and how does it unfold? And I'll tell you, here's some of the guys digging into the text. Here's some of the guys working on our, on our um, whiteboards that we kind of create there. And then I love this next slide because here is John, uh, John discovering that he too can understand God's word and that he can teach. I just, that's kind of what happened this time this was the eighth of the ninth trainings, and the guys just really turned a corner. A couple of days I would be sitting there as they would be preaching, and I had tears in my eyes as they, as they were getting it. And it was a movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so you, and, and, and everyone in Rwanda, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just saying this. They say, thank your church. Thank your church. And so thank you, Paseo Del Rey. This is what you're doing uh, here in this ministry. So a couple of more. Here's our, our uh, whiteboards, so to speak, uh, kind of trying to get them set up. You see some of the Kinyarwanda, the language that's spoken in Rwanda there. Daniel on the far right, Daniel was preaching. And here's one of our brothers preaching. So it just gives you a little idea. I, I, I don't know how many sermons we heard this last time. A bunch, probably about uh, nine a day. And so it was awesome. And then at, at when that session is over, we give them encouragement and give them feedback. And, and as, the, as we've built relations, this is the beauty of building relationships with these guys, is it, at first you can't, um, you can't say anything negative because it's a shame-based society. And so if you say something negative, they are a bad person. They think that genocide is their fault. They just think everything is their fault. So as we've built relationships and built love into their lives, able to speak more strong, lovingly but strongly into their lives, and just it's really, really paid off. You're making a difference in Rwanda. Here's, here's dinner. I want to invite you to come and have some beans with us and uh, some onions getting cooked up here on the, the stove there. 
uh, one of our delightful cooks there. This is one of the ways that a lot of people in, in Rwanda get transported. Most people walk. It's a, um, most people, about 80% of the people are subsistence farmers. In other words, they don't have jobs. They just raise crops and trade crops, and that's what they do full time. So people have a little bit of money. They, they rent a moto, they call them. So this lady's rented a moto. She has her helmet, as you can see, safely on top of her hair. And that package she has behind it is her baby. She has a firm grasp on her baby there along the roads. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, this is, this is how they get water. About 90% of the people in Rwanda is they will sometimes go a short distance, but sometimes literally miles downhill to where there's a river. There's plenty of water. It's just not clean water and it's not accessible. So they'll take these 20-liter jugs and uh, we'll go back one just a little bit. They'll take these jugs and they'll go down and they'll fill them up and then they'll push them back up the hills. It is incredible um, to bring the water home. But when they get it home, it's not um, clean water. It's, it's pretty dirty and it um, causes all kinds of illnesses. And so what Paseo is joining forces with a group called 20 Liters, those are 20 liter jugs, and helping to build a home uh, water filtration systems that are very simple, relatively inexpensive. And in November, we're going to have a build where we build some of the parts right here at Paseo del Rey for a, a couple hundred of these water filters that will then go to Rwanda. Excited about that. So here's a family that I got to visit um, who a water filter has made a lot of difference in this family. There's four kids, actually, just a couple of them are here. So here's inside of their, their house, uh, and here's their water jug. It's in right, they only have two rooms, but it's, so it's, in, it's in their living room here. And this has made such a, they shared with me how it's made a huge difference in their lives. Less dysentery stuff that the kids and the parents would always have. It's also affected some of their sinuses. A lot of the kids you'll see just have, are just crusted because you're just continually draining, which some people say is part of the unclean water, the parasites and stuff that are in the water. This, this water has just made a big difference. Here's, a, here's what one of the filters looks like. This is what we'll be helping to build. Uh, we'll be building a couple of the parts on the right there. It's a sand filter, then with a couple of other small filters. The water is absolutely clean and drinkable. I've drank out of these things carefully at first, but I, I drink water out of them, and they're just they're amazing things. So in November, you're going to be hearing a lot more about it. We're going to be purchasing some of these, and then we're going to be building them right here at church. You're invited to be a part of that. So here's some great worship, I think. I always love to bring back worship. Wow, those are people who love Jesus, aren't they? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, so I got two weeks of that, like every day. It's just awesome. It's one of the churches that we worked in. And um, I, I got out there. Yes, I did. I got out there and danced with them. Not quite as well as these ladies do, let me tell you. Uh, but it is it just, they have been saturated with the gospel, and it's just so awesome. Well, we're going to look in the book of Galatians this morning. 
and talk about being saturated with the gospel. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. There's a Bible there in the rack. It's page 1169 if you want to turn there uh, with us. And um, um, as we've been studying together the book of Galatians, um, Paul has been drenching us in the gospel. He's been saturating us in the gospel over and over again. And he's been reminding us of how broken and sinful we are, far, far more broken and sinful than we would have ever imagined possible, and yet loved and accepted by Jesus totally by what he did for us and nothing else than we would ever imagine possible. And Paul is just, he wants to drench them in this gospel that we are, um, we are children of God We've been adopted into his family, not by our performance in any way, but by his promise. And Paul is just saturating us over and over and over again with this gospel promise in the book of Galatians and in, and in the whole Bible. And so Paul, Paul, Paul wants us to know that it's not about our performance, it's not about us keeping rules, it's not about us keeping laws or a checklist or regulations. So for instance, in chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says, clearly no one who relies on the law, keeping check boxes, keeping rules or regulations, uh, doing a B plus in rule keeping or above average in our performance. Therefore, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Paul, Paul is saying that the way you get into the kingdom of God, the way you become a child of God, is all by what Christ did and only by what Christ did. And the way you stay in the family of God is all and only by what Christ did. That's the way it always is, he, the Apostle Paul says. So, so here's an honest question, and, and it's a question that we've talked about before, and it's a question I hope that you're thinking about is if we, our relationship with God is entirely dependent only on what he did and not on what we do, what's our relationship now as gospel-saturated believers to the law? What about all of the, what about all of the rules and regulations in the Bible? 631 commands and imperatives, I think, uh, in the Bible. What is our relationship to those? So, so, for instance, God commands me to love my wife. Can I just jettison that? Because my acceptance before God is entirely based on what Jesus did and not based on what I do. That's true. It's entirely based on what Jesus did, not what I do. So can I, can I choose to just say, no, I don't, need to, I don't need to obey that law to love my wife. I'm com we're commanded to forgive one another. So am I now free from that law because my acceptance for God is based only on what Jesus did for me on the cross. Am I, am I free not to go with the message of Christ to my neighbors? He commands us to do that, to make disciples with my neighbors into the ends of the earth. Am I free from that? In other words, if, 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 the, if the gospel of grace is true, if it's all about the promise that God made, not the law, if it's all about his promise, then can I just... Throw to the curb the law of God and just forget about it and ignore it and just say it's just all about grace. 
And this is a critical question for Christians, for gospel um, saturated, drenched Christians to think about. So why should I why should I obey the law of God if if I'm totally accepted, not on basis of how I do with God's law? And in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, Galatians chapter three, verses fifteen through about verse twenty-five, the apostle Paul is wrestling with this. Is in seven times in this passage, he uses the word promise. And about 10 times, he uses the word law. So he is interested in this tension, in this relationship between the gospel, the promise-saturated Christian, and, and the law. What's that all about? So you have a message outline in your bulletin there. If you want to use it, you're welcome to. Two points, two points. And the first point is this, is we want to discover from this passage what the law does not do. And what the, law does, what the law does not do is that it, it does not supersede the promises of God. So God's law never trumps, never, I'm sorry about that, it never takes the place of, it never um, changes, it never pushes aside the promises of God. And sometimes in our Christian lives, we think that we start with the promise and then we need to complete our Christian life by keeping rules and regulations. That's what uh, Fred preached about two Sundays ago. He said, Paul, Paul, Paul said, you foolish Galatians in chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians. He said, who has bewitched you? Someone has crept into the Galatian church. Paul started this church in Galatia. He preached the gospel so clearly. And then he went to plant another church. And in his absence, these perverts who were apparently demonic, because this word, who bewitched you, has an, has an undercurrent, an undertone of, of, a, of demonic activity, of some kind of spiritual force. Who has tricked you? Who has put a spell on you that now you started with the promise and now you think you're going to complete your Christian life by obeying a bunch of rules and regulations? Oh, oh you, the promise is really good, you said. I really like that at the beginning. But now as my Christian life goes on, I'm going to have to keep uh, keep the, 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 the laws of God. Now, it's interesting that Fred said two Sundays ago when he preached that, and I really like what he said, he said, some of us love checkbox, check, checkbox religion. Some of us love law-based religion. And, and some of us do. There's a part of us, some of us that are like accountants or that are rule keepers. We love kind of a rule-based Christianity. In fact, so what we're going to do here at Paseo Del Rey starting next week, we've got all your names, and we're going to put up a list back on the back wall here, and all your names will be there. We're not going to give you a number. You're not going to be anonymous in this thing. And next to it is going to be, uh, did you swear this week? Did you lose your temper this week? Did you lust this week? Um, did you love your wife like Christ loved the church this week? They have a whole bunch of things. And so when you come in on Sunday morning, we want you to come in and check how you're doing. And here's the cool thing that I really like about this is after church, I'm going to go up and you're going to go up and kind of check how you're doing compared to other people, right? You're going to go, wow. If you're a rule keeper, that's what you're going to do. You're going to race up there and go, hey, look at this, man. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. I've got eight out of nine stars this week. And who's April Bowman? She's only, 
She's only got a half a star, you know, down there. No, it'd be Gary Bowman. Have a half a star down there at the very bottom. And you see, that's one of the reasons we love to, some of us love to keep the rules, because we can compare ourselves either. And then, here's the cool thing about keeping, keeping track of by religion by the numbers, is then I can boast. And you'll probably come back the next Sunday. I had nine stars out of ten, a t-shirt printed up for you when you come into church. Now, if you only got a half a star, you're probably not going to. Now, see, Fred didn't say this, but I know you agree with me. Some of us love to do checkbox religion. Some of us hate it. Some of us that don't do the rules, don't color in the lines real well, we hate to do it because while it makes some people feel secure and um, boastful and confident, right? Hey, I'm doing pretty good because you're comparing yourself to everybody else, right? I'm doing better than Bowman. Those of us that don't color inside the lines, that don't keep all the rules, we then feel very insecure about that, don't we? We feel very um, inadequate. We feel very insecure in our relationship with God. And we feel, um, we feel like a failure is what we feel like. So, so this, and I think at different times in our lives, when we do well, I want checkbox religion. When I'm not doing well, I don't want checkbox religion. So what the gospel perverters were doing is they snuck into Galatia and they said, the law was good, but there's something new in town. There's something that came later that throws the promise out or at least puts the, the promise in the, in the shadows and this new thing is the way we need to go. And so Paul uses an illustration to show how that is not the case, that the law does not overshadow the promises. So Paul uses an everyday example. And he uses the example, some of your Bibles will say a covenant. Others of your Bibles will say a will or a testament. So think about a will. Uh, April and I have a will because we're not sure how our kids are going to divide up the $8 we're going to leave them. And so we, because we're giving them an inheritance, we're spending it right now, right? That's our goal in life. And, and so we have a will of how whatever is left over will be distributed. Those, our kids cannot change that will, right? And in fact, written in our will, if, if any of the kids protest or try to um, argue against the will, they're out of the will. So that hopefully will keep them from arguing over that. So once a will is set, it can only be changed by the person who set it before they die. Once the person died, once I, April and I die, then that will goes into effect. So Paul uses an illustration of a will when he talks about the law and the promise. Verse 15 of chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, now let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant or will that has been duly, legally established, so it is in this case between the, law, the promise and the law. The promises were spoken to Abraham. Okay, so here's where the promises, uh, Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, etc. The promises that were given to Abraham were, were back here. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, the scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but and to your seed. See, the promise was that through the family of Abraham would come one who would be the savior of the world, Jesus. This is that promise. 
And He would rescue us from our lostness. It would be Jesus who would rescue us from our losses. The one who would live a perfect life and have a perfect death and have a perfect resurrection. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean, verse 17, is this. The law introduced 430 years later. So here's the promise to Abraham. And then 430 years later, the law is given through angels, through Moses to the people, from God to angels, through Moses to the people. It's given to, uh, to the people 430 years later. So what I mean is this, that the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the will previously established by God and thus do away with the promises. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise of God. But, now, this is what one of the things we're teaching our pastors in Rwanda, is to look for connecting words. And when you, come, when you study your Bible, look for connecting words, because they're so important. They're so important. But is a huge word in the Bible. But, instead of a law that brings inheritance, instead, but, God, in His grace, gave to Abraham, uh, but God in his grace gave it the promises to Abraham through a promise. He gave this great inheritance, and it was all through a promise. That's the only way we get this um, uh, gift from God in, in this will. So let's say, let's say I'm a single father, and I have two kids. I have a son, and I have a daughter. And my son um, doesn't have a house, and my daughter does have a house. So as I'm making out my will, I'm thinking, um, my son needs a house. My daughter doesn't. So in my will, I say that when I die, my, ho- my house will go to my son because he's the one who needs it, right? That's my free choice that I get to do. Now, when I die, the moment I die, that will goes into effect. Now, what if the moment I die, at the very same moment, my son inherits a house from his father-in-law who happened to die at the same time. Does my, is my will changed in any way? Does my, can my daughter go, well, that's not fair, Dad. No, I make the choices as the will giver, and that will cannot be changed in any form. It can't be altered. It's secure and binding and unchangeable. And that's Paul's argument here, isn't it? Is that, is that, is that this promise that was given to Abraham about Christ being our Savior is not nullified or changed in any way by the coming of the law. So we don't start our faith all in grace and then complete our faith by keeping rules and regulations. I'm a child of God. I'm adopted into God's family once forever, and I stay in God's family once and forever simply because of the promise that he's made us in Jesus Christ. It's all about his performance, not our performance. Now, verses 17 and 18 are, are a critical argument, and you've got to understand this. He says, Paul says, what I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant or the will previously established by God through the promise and thus do away with the promises. If the law changes the promise 
one iota. That means God changed his mind and has decided we don't need a savior anymore. If God looks down and goes, well, I know I made that promise to Abraham that I would do it all. But now it's going to be based, I'm just changing my mind, and now it's based on how you perform. We're all going to hell. Every single one of us. Because what we then have to become, you see, a works-based religion, a works-based faith, a performance-based faith makes you into your own savior. And I got bad news for you. You are not a good savior. You are not a good savior. And this is one of the beautiful things we're going to see about in a minute about the law. The law reminds us what lousy saviors we are and drives us to Jesus, who's the perfect Savior. That's one of the greatest values of the law, is to drive us to Jesus Christ. You, you see, the, a, promise, a promise only needs to be believed, right? Where a, a law has to be obeyed. It's a law, the law is always if then. If you do this, then this will happen, right? But a promise just needs to be believed. Let's say I say to you, um, hey, I don't know if you knew this or not, but my Aunt Mary, she is loaded, man. She is rich. She's, I do her books for her. She's got $10 million. And you know what? She wants to give it all to you. You just need to go over to her house and get it. Now, the only way you would not get that $10 million is if you don't believe me or believe my aunt. If you just go, oh, I don't believe you, and just go off on your own. But if you believe me and you go over to my Aunt Mary's house, she's just going to give you $10 million. The only thing to keep you from getting that promise is belief, right? You don't have to go over there and do her You don't even have to go over and do her lawn. You don't have to do anything. You just go over to her house. You just believe. But if I say to you, hey, you know, my Aunt, Larry, Aunt Mary, she's loaded. She's got like $10 million. I do her accounts. Uh, I keep track of her money for her. And you know what? She kind of likes you. And she would like you to come to her house and take care of her for the rest of her life. And when she, when, when she passes away, she wants then to pay you $10 million. She wants to give it all to you. Well, you'd go, well, how long do you think she'll live? <laughs> I mean, I know what you're thinking. It's the first question I'd ask, too, you know. Uh, about a year. Wow. I'm going to go. So when she passes away, and then the check is written out to, her, to you in the trust, $10 million, you earn that, right? Because if then, if you go and serve her 24-7 for the rest of her life, then she will pay you $10 million. You see the difference between a promise and, be, and, be, and, and between a promise and between a work. But you can't have it both ways. That's what Paul's saying. Is it's either a promise, all a promise, always a promise, or it's the law and always the law. You can't mix the two. It's oil and water. They don't mix together. In fact, they're diametrically opposed in this, in this sense. Now, this is a struggle for all believers, I think. I think this is a struggle for all believers. I think most of us get that we, most of us, not always, but that we become children of God all by God's grace, all by his promise. But as our Christianity goes on and we grow older in our faith, I think we start to begin to think that God doesn't love us as much, and so 
I need to do some things to kind of shore up my relationship with him. And so we look to the law, we look to rules and regulations, and we push other people to rules and regulations to say, you know, you know, God, God, if you really want God to keep you in his family, then you better do this and do this and do that. You know, interesting thing, very personal thing happened to me after I got back from Rwanda, and I was sick, and I was just, I just didn't have, I just didn't feel like myself for a couple of days, and, and I started feeling like God didn't love me, and I, I, and I was trying to think, okay, why am I feeling like this? I, I was feeling like I wasn't really his, I was, felt like I was a kind of a stepchild or something, about ready to get kicked out of the family. And I, I struggled, why am I feeling this way? And I realized it was because I wasn't performing. I wasn't preparing sermons. I wasn't counseling people. I wasn't connecting with people. I came to Perspectives last, last Monday night, and I kind of came in and I kind of went out because I just didn't feel good. But I felt, I felt worse about not feeling good because I felt like, hey, my, my, I love to talk with people and visit with people and pray with people and interact with people. And I realized I was using, those are all good things to do. Those are all good things to do. But I had elevated, I had moved back into the law. That I was doing these things so that God would love me. And, I, and, and, and you know what that did for me? It drove me back to Jesus, right? That my acceptance and value in this world and my significance to God is not based on what I do. I could become a cripple in a wheelchair and not, and not be able to speak a word and God would still love me because of the promise he made to Abraham through Christ. Amen? And he would do that same thing for you. Now, those things are good things. Those, those are things that I, that I want to do. We're going to talk about why do I bother doing those things. But we can just get so twisted up in this. And, and sometimes, sometimes when you're doing a lot of good performance... The opposite can happen. You can become very prideful, can't you? You kind of, hey, man, I'm kind of doing pretty good. Yeah, man, God's kind of lucky to have me on, on board with him, actually. And you know, on that chart in the back of the church, you see how many stars I've got? <laughs> you, that can creep into us, right? You see, what I'm saying to you is we, most of us start well with the promise, but then we're like the Galatians, and we start thinking that either our good performance or our lack of performance changes our relationship with God. It doesn't. Praise God. It's based on what he did for us. I, I met a guy not from our church, so don't worry about this. For breakfast one morning, we we're going to meet at 6.30 down at Starbucks in Bonita. And so I got down there. I'm waiting there at 6.30 and then 6.40 and then 6.45. And I'm thinking, where is this guy? You know, and then 6.50 comes. He's not there. 7 o'clock comes. And I'm like, hey, Man, I'm a really spiritual guy. You know, I got up early, come down here, do some discipleship with this guy. This guy's done this to me before. I can't believe it. This guy's a jerk, which means I'm great, right? When the guy's a jerk, then I'm great. And I'm just this, this and I didn't realize it's this performance-based religion that I was sucking myself. Was it good for me to be down there at 6 30? Yeah, that was a good thing to do. But I was taking it and turning it that I was earning, checking off boxes with God. So 7.15 comes, the guy didn't show. So I, I text the guy. So I texted him. I said, hey, buddy, you, you know, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Why? I said, well, missed you for breakfast this morning. Well, it's not this morning. And I said, yeah. 
And there was this self-righteous indignation inside of me because I'm really usually good at dates and times. I'm really usually pretty good at it. That's why God loves me so much because I'm usually pretty good at that. And I'm thinking, no, it was this morning. Say it was Tuesday morning, 6.30, Starbucks down there. No, he said, no, it's tomorrow. So I said, well, let me check. You know, I don't want to take his word for it. That don't be merciful to the guy. You know, I mean, just stick it to him. So I looked back through my text. Yeah, it is tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you see that, and God just kind of rammed me up against my own failure. That's one of the things that God uses the law for, to send us back to him. To send us back to him. To, to send us back to the Savior. You, but you... You, you, you can't, the law doesn't override the promises of God. It doesn't take, never takes the place. Now, we struggle with it because we want to bring the law back in, especially when we're performing well, especially when we're performing well. Oh, I want, I want, a, I want more check marks. I want more stars. I want the T-shirt. The law never, 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 never trumps the promise of God. So what does the law do? That's our second question there in your message outline. So what does the law do? The law drives us to the promise of Jesus. That's the wonderful... You know, the law... I have this love-hate relationship with the law. I hate it because it exposes me, and I love it because it sends me back to Jesus. The, 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 law, the law is not finished. Look at verse 19. Uh, why then was the law given at all? Good question, right? That's our question. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Here's our answer. It was given because of transgressions. It makes transgressions, sins, failures clear. I love a couple of years ago, I was driving on H Street, and a, 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 some guy was going too fast. He got stopped by the police. I don't love that part of it. But I loved where the policemen stopped him. And they were both out of the car they were right in front of the 50-mile-an-hour sign. I mean, it was just right there. The guy's writing, the cop's writing him a ticket right in front of the sign. That's the law, right? Just all through our life. See, God gave us the law so we could never go, I didn't know the speed limit. I had no idea the speed limit. Where, where's the speed limit? It's right there, and then it's right there, and it's right there, and it's right there. And it's a high standard, isn't it? It's a standard so high that you and I can't and we don't want to keep it. And it drives us back to the Savior. Some of you, um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, 7, and I think into, no, 5, 6, 7. I have a love-hate relationship with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous sermon on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. I, I love it and I hate it. Because he's, I don't know, sometimes people go, oh, the Sermon on the Mount, now that's the way to live. That's all what Jesus is all about. I say to them, have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? You know what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? Is you need to be salt and light all the time. And I hide the gospel in my house. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that if you so much as look at a woman and lust after her, you're an adulterer. I don't know what's warm and fuzzy about that. Man, that, that drives me. That, that I, I love the law and I hate the law. He's expounding on the law and what it means for us to drive us back to, to himself. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that if you disdain your neighbor and you think in your heart, 
what a jerk my neighbor is. You have murdered him. You've disgraced the image of the creator. Wow. Man, I get yeah. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that um, you need to forgive and, and never think about turning a cold shoulder to someone. That's what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. You're to turn the other cheek to them. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are to give away your money in incredibly generous amounts to the poor and never even think about a thank you. Have you ever given something to someone, you give it to them and they just kind of turn and walk away? It's like, uh, uh, uh. Jesus says, that's a sin. You're to give it to them and, and not know what your left hand did when your right hand did, never expecting any, any thanks or any praise. Here, here's, here's one, here's one. Jesus says, never worry. I don't like the Sermon on the Mount. One preacher said, Lord, save us from the Sermon on the Mount. And I kind of agree with it. I love it and I don't. But what Jesus is doing is, is he's using the law to drive us back to the Savior to realize what did I say before? I'm not the Savior. I'm in huge need of a Savior, but it's not me. I'm not a good Savior. Read the Sermon on the Mount this afternoon if you want to have a lousy afternoon. And just, and just see how far you've fallen short and let it drive you back to the Savior. Several years ago when our kids were little, we had home Bible study. We have home Bible study at our house a lot. And we were having home Bible study one night, and a whole bunch of extra people showed up. It was really cool. And so as they're coming in, you know, all these people, and we had four little kids. Um, I don't know how old they were. They were little. And, you know, when you have little kids around the house, there's a lot of extra stuff around the house. And it was my job. I'm not going to throw my wife under the, under the uh, uh, bus on this one. It was my, my job to kind of clean that night. And so um, everybody's coming in, and all of a sudden I realized we don't, we don't have enough room here in our family room. So, you know, I said, well, hey, guys. And somebody on the other side, I said, hey, hey, John, grab the other end of that couch. Let's just move the couch back. And I look over at my wife and some of her girlfriends, and their eyes have dilated to about 10. And they're going, duh. And we're moving this couch just as they're going, duh. It's like that slow motion thing in a movie. Don't move that couch. And all of a sudden, I look under where the couch was, and there is stuff. And when I say stuff, now it was all my fault. Okay, I want you to know this. There were French fries. There were books. There were dirty clothes. There were diapers. I, now I'm exaggerating a little bit. There were dead goldfish. There, there were, I'm, I am exaggerating a little bit. But you know what was under there? Dust balls. You know, when you got four kids, who's got time to clean under the couch? Because you don't think your idiotic husband is going to move the couch in the middle of Bible study with 30 people from the church standing around there, do you? Well, here's what the deal is. That's what the law does, is it lifts the respectability off your life, right? And, and I'm so grateful for the law because without the law, I think I'm doing pretty good. I don't really need a savior. I'm doing pretty good at saving myself. I'm a pretty good Joe. I'm a pretty good citizen. I'm a pretty nice guy. And Jesus comes into my life with the law and he lifts the cow. Oh my gosh, could you put it back down? And so the law is this gracious gift from God to help me realize how much I need the Savior Jesus. That's what he is in your life, and that's what he is in my life. I love this uh, exalting the cross illustration that we use. 
I think that, I think that sometimes what I want to do is have a chart in the back of the church because I want to compare myself to other people. But what we need to compare ourselves against is God's law. That's a growing awareness of God's holiness, of how high and lofty and perfect is, surprise, surprise, is the perfect God's law. How high and lofty it is. And then as I grow in my awareness of how far short I fall of that, the cross of Christ gets bigger and bigger and bigger in my life. And I love him more and more and more. Now here's the cool, let's leave that up. Here's the cool thing that starts to happen. Is I now, as I understand this huge gap, I am so thankful. I'm growing in my thankfulness to Jesus, in my gratitude to Jesus. I want to keep his law. That's why, that's why um, David says, I love your law. I delight in your law. Not to earn favor with you, God, but just like with my wife. Why do I want to obey my wife? Why do I want to do what my wife wants me to do? What, what my wife wants me to do is because she's loved me so much. It's not to earn her love. It's not to keep her love. It's because she's loved me so generously. And as I understand God's amazing love for me, even though that his standards is incredibly high, and my sinfulness is, is incredibly awful, he's loved me. And the cross of Christ gets bigger and bigger and bigger in my life. And I realize how much I need him as my savior. And how, what is my response? I have a, a, God's changing my heart where now I want to keep his law. And he empowers me to keep his law. Not to earn or to keep his love. But out of response for saturating me and saturating you in the gospel. That's the message we want to share with you today. That's the message we want to share you to share with your neighbors. That's the message we want to share with people in Mexico and in Belize and in Rwanda and all around the world. It is a life-changing message that it's not about our performance. Oh, what a crushing thing. There's all you see is the couch lifted and the despair that would cause. But instead, not only is the couch lifted, but Jesus says, I'm cleaning all of that up. I've died for all of that so that you can have this new life in which I live inside of you. Hey, you know, I know that some of you are living under a burden of performance today. How do I know that? Because I go in and out. And I want you to be freed from that burden of trying to work your way to earn God's acceptance for you. It's crushing. You can't do it. Let the, let the law of God nail you to the floor and drive you to the Savior today. Say, Jesus, Jesus, I just confess to you today that I am a mess and I'm a sinner and I'm in need of your love in my life. Change me and give me a new desire and give me new power to obey you in gratitude for all that you've done for me. Jesus, I pray this for my friends that are here today because I know, Jesus, that um, this performance burden, this law burden creeps back into our lives. It bewitches us. 
Jesus, I pray that as we feel condemnation, as we feel that you don't love us for some reason, that Jesus, we would come back to you, come back to the cross, and preach the promise, preach the gospel to ourselves again. And for some of us, Lord, who struggle with feeling superior, who feel that we're better than others, who feel that you're, you love us more than other people because we, we, we've got stars where they don't. Oh, Jesus, would you lift the couch in our lives and reveal to us our brokenness, our sinfulness, that we just aren't marathoners who are trying to make it to the, to the goal line with two broken ankles, but that we're marathoners who have no legs, if it were not for you, Jesus, we would be totally undone. Save us with the gospel and keep us in the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.